Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 25, Ottonian Italy. Last time, we left Otto I using the iron fist to cement his control over Rome and the papacy after he had had to come over the Alps several times also to sort out the Italian nobles in the north, particularly Berengarius II of Ivrea and his son Adalbert. The main problem was, and would continue to be, that the numerous divisions in the Italian peninsula meant that even a force such as that of Otto, with superior strength, couldn't take on all of the political entities, even in the north. So he was forced to play the intricate chess game of alliances, counter-alliances, and the change-up thereof every time he turned his back. The situation was further complicated by the fact that all of these various realities were very different from one another. On the one hand, you may have a count or a marquis with their castles slowly enclosing the land around cities with other castles. And then you had the cities themselves, more numerous in Italy than elsewhere in Europe, and often with the bishop as both administrative and religious leader. Although noble families had started to penetrate the cities as well, forming factions that would last for centuries. The issue of religious and secular power is very important for Otto. Indeed, in Germany, he had relied very much on the bishop counts that he would invest himself with both religious and secular authority, something that would in time cause quite a conundrum. They would receive the power of the districtus with policing and tax-collecting responsibilities. This worked out rather well in the end, because since bishops were not supposed to have descendants, when they died, the land and power would not be inherited by their sons and further divided and permanently taken away from the king or the emperor, but it would go back to the sovereign to be reassigned once more. This was very common in Otto's Germany, but there is a lot less evidence of these diplomas being assigned in Italy. Indeed, it seems that the only ones which were assigned were to the bishops of Parma, Reggio Emilia, Asti, Novara and Cremona, reflecting the more complicated makeup of the political structures in Italy and the proximity of the Pope and his authority over the Church. In any case, Otto had managed to consolidate his influence in northern Italy and down to Rome, for the first time in almost a century, there was real power behind the imperial throne, which was no longer just an empty title for Italian, Burgundian, Corinthian or Provencal nobles to squabble over. That was not all. Otto of Germany was not content with just the northern kingdom of Italy and his influence over the Duchy of Rome, but he was also able to extend his influence over the south of the peninsula, 
although never quite all the way down. But he did reach down to Capua, Benevento and Salerno, as well as Spoleto. He was able to do this by finding the right man for the job, to be his vassal in the area, and that man was Pandolfo, also known as Capo di Ferro. Now allow me a digression here on language and sounds. We know that in English there are certain words that just sound nice, cute or cuddly. Take puppy or fluffy, for example. They just sound nice, like sweetie or bunny rabbit. Well, the same goes for Italian, perhaps not as much, and indeed when I hear the name Pandolfo, it just sounds cuddly and nice. If I were to try and convey the feeling, I could say something like fluffy button, although that is by no way a translation of the meaning of Pandolfo. I'm going on this rant because I really like the way this gentleman's name, Pandolfo, clashes with his nickname, Capo di Ferro. The result sounds something like fluffy bun, iron head. What about that name? So, Fluffy Bun was Otto's man down south. He was the Prince of Benevento and Capua, and after he had defeated the anti-imperial Duke of Spoleto Tybalt, he also took that title. Otto took the first northern army south for a century, when in 967 he was in Capua to receive the homage of Pandolfo's brother, Landolfo III. This triumphant expansion south was marred by the fact that the Byzantine Empire still had influence, directly or indirectly, over various areas of southern Italy, Gaeta, Napoli and Amalfi, although they had greatly increased their independence, were still tied to the Eastern Roman Empire. It was time for Otto and Pandolfo to try and sort out the Byzantines who, in turn, weren't doing too well at that time because they had just lost their last few footholds in Sicily to the Caliph Ahmed al-Hassan, and so they were going to hold on to their possessions on the mainland for dear life. Listeners will remember that the Arab conquest of Sicily had started back in 827 and was now complete. If you want a recap of the initial invasion, you can go back to episode 17. The whole issue of southern expansion is also where the succession of Otto I comes into play. Indeed, he saw his son as an important piece in the diplomatic game against Byzantium with a possible marriage alliance with a Byzantine princess. First of all, he needed to make the boy look better. So, on Christmas Day 967, Otto II was raised to the throne alongside his father. This was common practice in Italian succession, but was a first for Germany, and only went down thanks to Otto I's great authority. Now he could open up the diplomatic game. The Byzantine emperor at the time was Nicephorus, or Nicephorus II, who had taken over in 963 from Romanus II. It wasn't an easy game to play. First of all, Otto sent a delegation to Constantinople, headed by a Venetian, Domenico, 
and we'll talk about the relationship between the Ottonians and Venice in the next episode. The delegation didn't come to much. Then, the Byzantines sent a delegation, but that also didn't come to much. At this point, Otto felt it was time for a little show of force, and he laid siege to the city of Bari, but it was not successful. He then tried to send a second mission to Constantinople, this time headed by Bishop Liutprand of Cremona, an expert in Byzantine affairs and fluent in their language. But also this time, no luck. It seems that what messed things up this time along was a genius move by the Pope who sent a letter to the Eastern Roman Emperor addressing him as Emperor of the Greeks, which did not go down well at all because the Byzantines still saw themselves as the descendants of the real Roman Empire, not those hairy barbarian Germans. At this point, Otto decided it was no more Mr. Nice Guy, if you can call besieging a city being Mr. Nice Guy, and unleashed his buddy Fluffy Bun Pandolfo Ironhead on the Byzantines. Unfortunately, they sent an army that actually defeated and captured Fluffy Bun, despite his cute name, and whisked him off. To Byzantium. Things at this point were not looking too good for the Ottonian side. Many lords in the area switched their allegiance to Constantinople and pro-Byzantine forces laid siege to Capua. However, this situation did not last long. Otto was able to lift the siege at Capua thanks to an army from Spoleto and then the Byzantines were defeated at Ascoli Satriano south of modern-day Foggia. Also, back in Constantinople, Emperor Nicephorus was assassinated in a palace coup by his nephew, John Tsimikis, who took the throne, and nothing gets in the way of keeping a hold on southern Italy like your own death. It seems that Nicephorus's wife may have also had a hand in the assassination. Talk about a marital spat. This all left Otto free to do as he pleased along the Italian coast and to try and placate him, the new eastern emperor freed old Pandolfo. An agreement followed which basically recognised the status quo. Otto would leave the Byzantine possessions in Apulia and Calabria alone and the Byzantines in turn would not threaten Capua and Benevento. To seal the deal, Otto finally got his princess. The young lady in question was Theophanu, a niece of the emperor, although recent studies show she may have been just a cousin, so she was not a big-time headline princess. In any case, Otto couldn't really refuse at this point, and on the 14th of April, 972, Otto II and Theophany or Theophanu were married. The Ottonians had their Byzantine princess, but that was really all they got. However, what Theophany lacked in imperial credentials, she made up for in strength of character and determination, and she would have the opportunity to show it. As we'll see, she would play a prominent role as empress and then as regent for her young son. She was not well liked by all of her new imperial subjects, with her strange eastern ways. For one thing, she insisted on taking a bath every single day. Would you believe it? My daughter would be horrified. 
She seems to lose track of time when it comes to remembering when she had a shower, and it was always just yesterday or the day before. For her part, Theophany got to be empress, but she also inherited a rather complicated situation, an Italian mother-in-law. Indeed, you will remember that the mother of Otto II was Adelaide of Italy, who had been rescued by Otto I after she had been imprisoned by Adalbert, son of Berengarius of Ivrea. Apparently, the relationship between Theophanu and her mother-in-law was never very good, causing the son, Otto II, to be estranged from his mother for many years. That was a rather different development from a recent article in the Italian news in which a very short-lived marriage ended when the new bride showed up to the airport with her new husband for their honeymoon, only to find her new mother-in-law waiting with her suitcases all packed and ready to go. It seems that in the case of Adelaide and her daughter-in-law, the Italian mother-in-law had the last laugh, outliving Theophany and expressing her satisfaction when that Greek woman died. Anyway, family gossip aside, one fact was now very blatantly clear, or at least to us in hindsight. The Holy Roman Empire that Otto wished to create, from the cold waters of the North Sea to the warmer ones of the southern shores of the Italian peninsula, was far too long to consolidate and maintain. Even for such an able politician and military leader as Otto I of Germany. Although his son would also try very hard to bring all of the Italian peninsula under the influence of the empire, he too would fail. In a certain sense, you could say that this marked the definitive failure of the Treaty of Verdun, which back in 843 had divided up the Carolingian Empire. With Otto I, Italy had once again come close to total unity, but by now it was only on the surface. The divisions and factions, not only between cities, duchies and principalities, but also within the cities themselves, were too far along for true unity to be a real possibility. As far as Otto I was concerned, he had had enough. He was reaching 60, pretty good for those times, although you may remember that Charlemagne had still been active around 70, and Otto felt drawn home to Germany. Even the death of Pope John XIII was not enough to keep him in Italy, and the transition to the imperial candidate Benedict VI in 972 was overseen by the Missus, the imperial representative in Rome. It took from the death of John XIII in September 971 to sort things out, but by January 972, Otto had his man on the throne of St. Peter, at least for a bit. John XIII had not been a bad pope, Indeed, he went down in history as John the Good, which is quite the opposite of bad. He was known to have been a reverent and pious man, as well as being well-schooled in canon law and the scriptures, which a lot of popes previously had not been. There is also a legend connected to his reign. It seems that one of the nobles attached to Otto's court was possessed by an evil spirit, so Otto sent him to Pope John. The Pope tried to put a series of imitation copies of the chains of St. Peter on the poor man, but nothing happened 
until the Pope decided to try with the real chains. The man's body began to smoke, and a terrible cry was heard in the air. The man was finally free. So, if you're currently being possessed by an evil spirit, you can go and find the chains of St. Peter in the church of San Pietro in Vincoli, St. Peter in Chains, just a short walk from the Colosseum. They probably won't let you try on the chains, but you could admire Michelangelo's Moses while you are there, although you have to put in a coin to have the light go on. In any case, this period, the early 960s, is seen as the end of what was called the Eta Ferrea, the Iron Age of the papacy, with its profound corruption and loose morals, which had started in 882. To finish with the story of our Holy Roman Emperor, it seems that it had been Otto's own internal clock calling him back to Germany, for on May of the year 973, Otto I of Germany died in Memleben. He left behind him a relatively stable situation in Germany, although that was not guaranteed beyond his death, and as always, a complicated situation in Italy. However, we see how Otto II got along next time. As always, thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thanks to our regular Patreon donors, Sen, Sean, Roberta and Shelby. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can send an email, hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media, you can look at maps, images and timelines to help you navigate our complicated history. Thank you very much to everyone once again, and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.